Well, I look forward this morning to share with you the good news of Jesus that will transform us if we let it. But first, I've got a question. How many of us have golfed before, played the game of golf? Hands up. Okay, quite a few. You know, when my wife and I started attending Westside, she said, you know, Mark, it seems like if you go to Westside, you have to golf. What's with that? And I thought, that's awesome. That's when I knew this was the church for us. (laughs) Carola, on the other hand, took some uh, convincing. But golf is something that I love to do. And it's something that I have been trying to increasingly do uh, recently. It's something that... um, I try to make time for, I put resources aside for, it's something that I love to do. Now, if you've played golf, and many of you have, you might know that it can be frustrating. It is very difficult to hit a little white ball 400 yards or 500 yards uh, down a field through a park, essentially, where there's trees and sand and all sorts of obstacles in your way into a small little hole. That's the game of golf. Frustrating, hard many obstacles. Why do we play? I'm not sure yet, but I keep going out so that I can hopefully find out one day. Well, I golf a lot with my brother. My brother lives uh, in Vancouver, so on the West Coast, so we don't actually uh, golf as much as we would like to, uh, but whenever we see each other, we try to see each other a few times a year, we golf together. So uh, when we golf, like most siblings, uh, the competition level is high. Um, we do not uh, give each other mulligans or gimmies or what you might call breakfast balls. Um, you don't uh, use a foot wedge. Now, this is something that I love. This might be my favorite uh, club in my um, set. It's the foot wedge. And I really just kind of recently learned about this um, from John Latta. John is a pro with the foot wedge. And that's where you uh, are maybe behind a tree or in the woods, and you just you know, give the ball a little kick. Give the ball a little kick to a better position. Now, when I play with John and Matt and some of you other guys in here, it's awesome, right? There's lots of foot wedges. There's lots of reloading. I love that. But when I play with my brother, uh, that is a different story, right? There is no foot wedges. There are no gimmies. We play serious. And a few years ago, about four years ago, we started uh, keeping track of how we played against each other. Uh, And so we would do this, and it became annual. For a few years, we counted every stroke that we took over the course of a year. So like 11 or 12 games against each other. We totaled that up, and uh, two years ago, he beat me by one stroke. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not bitter or anything, but uh, he beat me by one stroke, and that hurt quite a bit. And then since then, we've changed the rules, and we, uh, we played just on a weekend. The The number of games that we played on one weekend was going to be the final tally. And so we decided, well, we got to get serious about this. So we created a trophy. We call it the Wall Brothers Invitational. And you can see, I think we have a picture of this. That's my brother. And yes, he has the trophy. And yes, it broke. Um, But that's okay. (laughs) So now we have two pieces, which is great. Um, That is him celebrating his victory uh, of the Wall Brothers Invitational this past year. And the hardest part about it is it happens on the May Long weekend, which is the same weekend as my birthday. So you'd think he'd go a bit easy on me, but he doesn't. And so when we play, we count every single stroke. And when we uh, hit a ball into the water or something, we place it in the hardest spot. And we check on each other. We're always, hey, did you? No, put the ball back there. And we're constantly fighting. It's 18 holes of fighting. And that is golf for us. And that's not very fun. 
I'm telling you, it's stressful. It's difficult. When I play with the guys here, Dan, John, Matt, whoever, that's fun. That's fun golf because we've got the foot wedges. We've got the reloading. But for some reason, we still do it. We measure ourselves against how we're measured. And when we keep score in things like golf, that can impact us. But how much more does it impact us through life, through all the different aspects of how we uh, live our lives? So you've heard from Dave and John already in this series, Measuring Up. And they've got some key points, and I just want to read those for you now. I want to remind us of what they said. Two weeks ago, Dave said about measuring success. He says, For Jesus, success is not measured by what you have or what you don't have, but by who you are and what you give away. I love that. For Jesus, success is not measured by what you have or don't have. Right? It's about being generous with our things. That's what success looks like to Jesus. And last week, when talking about measuring maturity, John said that for Jesus, maturity is measured by truly loving all people, not just those that love us back. It is when you are more about others and less about yourself. Right? That's hard. Talking about who is our enemy and how do we love them? What does it look like to love them? Right? Do you remember John talked about that little prison in our hearts? Right? For some of us, it's a bit bigger than others. I was with some people, and they said, well, I must have a, a really big heart because you know, my prison's pretty full. And I just wonder, have we been releasing people from our prisons in our hearts this week? Right? But what John was saying, measuring maturity, right? it's about being generous with our love. Being generous with our love. And today we continue that theme, uh, looking at measuring others. And what Jesus says about that. Should we measure others? How do we measure others? So if you would, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6. We're just going to continue where John left off last week. And while you're doing that, I've got some exciting news to share. I know, I know. For those of you who are tracking with us, you're like, oh, Mark, not again. But really, yes, again, this is how exciting it is. This week, in the Burlington community, so if we've never met, um, I'm the Burlington pastor. And this week, we've got two very exciting Burlington events happening. And I share it here because you're all invited to this. This isn't just something for the Burlington community. This is something for the Westside community. And so I want to make sure that it's on our radars. On November 1st, which is Wednesday, we are getting the keys to our new space. Uh, that's when we get into the place. It's exciting. Uh, many of you have been praying for this exact moment. And so I want to invite you to this open house happening on Wednesday evening. It's at 7 p.m. It's at our new location, which is 5050 South Service Road. Feel free to jot that down if you need to. 7 p.m. on Wednesday. That's going to be a time of seeing the space, about uh, hearing what the plans are, because it's going to be a bit of a construction site, and we're going to be doing some work there. And then it's going to be... A little time of praying together in that space, um, of, of dreaming together of what it could be and a, a visioning of what God has for us and for this community there in Burlington. I'm very excited about it, and I want to invite you all to that. I think it's going to be so worth being there for that, to celebrate as a community. And then the second thing happening, which is uh, just as exciting, just as fun, that's happening on Saturday, November 4th. That is moving day. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Moving day, uh, we are moving our things from uh, our initial location on Advanced Road, if that means anything to you, and we're moving it to our new space, 5050 uh, South Service Road. So if you uh, want to help with that, if you want to be a part of the community, maybe you can lift boxes, maybe you can roll bins, maybe you can bring cookies, um, whatever. These are all very important roles. And so that's happening 8 a.m. Saturday morning. If you want some information about that or if you want to help, that would be amazing. Um, come chat with me. I would love to direct you and point you in the, the place where that is going to be happening. That's going to be so good. And honestly, guys, I cannot stress enough how exciting this is for our community. This is something that God has been going before us, leading us towards, and here we are. We are at that time, which is amazing. Okay, Luke 6. I trust you're all there now. This is the Sermon on the Plain. So the Sermon on the Plain is um, similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we often refer to in the book of Matthew. Sermon on the Plain, similar content um, happening in Luke. They are um, essentially Jesus' core values. This was very likely a type of repeated sermon that Jesus gave, almost like a stump speech. If you know anything about politics, politicians, when they are uh, out there campaigning, they have a stump speech, which means uh, they have a core message, core values, core things that they want to communicate, and they tweak it and adapt it depending on the province or the city uh, that they're in, depending on what's happening locally. And this, in many ways, was Jesus' stump speech, if I can say that. So his disciples would have heard this many, many times. They probably would have been, um, dare I say, bored of it. They could probably uh, repeat it themselves. But this is so core, so foundational to the message of Jesus. And it's core and foundational because uh, up until this time... um, For the listeners there, they would have been focused on their relationship with God. It would have been straight up. What can I do? What should I sacrifice? Uh, What holy place should I go to or do I need to go to in order to be in right relationship with God? And that was how they lived in those days. Uh, Last week, John used the term upside down kingdom. Well, that's what this is doing. This is turning all of that on its head. And it's radical for that reason. It's not just about your private relationship with God. It's about what's inside you lived out. It's about how we live. That our love for God and our connection to God should be evident to others in how we connect and how we relate and how we treat others. And that's what Jesus is saying. And that was radical in the time. And the truth is, it's radical for us now. That might sound easy, that might sound simple and straightforward, right? It's a message that we who grew up in the church probably heard lots. But if we stop to think and focus, and we realize what that means for us, it's hard. It's a hard teaching. But that's why we have each other. How we live matters, and that's the message that Jesus is is communicating here with his teaching. So Luke 6, Luke 6, verse 37 and 38. Read with me here. He says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Before I go any further, can I just say, um, 
that when I was looking at the passage that I'll be teaching on this morning, I got very excited because I thought I was going to be teaching on the first drink recipe that Jesus ever gave his disciples. I don't know if that stood out to you. Let me read it again. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Right? Doesn't that sound? I used to be a bartender back many, many, many years ago. And so to me, that's what stood out to me. Maybe that says something more about me than what the text says. Um, But that is not what Jesus is saying here, in fact. He's talking about measuring grain. Uh, You pour and you shake and you press it down to make sure all the gaps in the bucket are filled. And you overflow it. And that's poured into your lap, which is uh, more like a pocket, a folded area on the robe, which becomes a pocket and carried with. So, again, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Easy, right? That's easy. Easy like the game of golf. Right? This is how we live. This is what Jesus is teaching us. But why? That's what I want to know. But why? Why do we not judge? Why do we not condemn? Why forgive? Why give? And does that matter? Right? What if... Uh, The person is guilty. He says, do not judge. But what if they're guilty? He says, do not condemn. But what if they've wronged? Right? Forgive. What if they're not sorry? How can we forgive them? Give. But what if they're irresponsible? Or even worse, what if they don't have a need? Why would I give then? Right? And the funny thing is, Jesus actually isn't addressing any of that. He's not saying... um, Okay, think about it, discern, pray about it. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, give. This is how we are supposed to live. This is how we connect to others and we show the love of God to others. Right? It continued from last week. Love your enemies. What? That doesn't make sense. And why would we do that? Why do we not judge? Or condemn? Why do we forgive? Why do we give? And he says here at the end of verse 38 For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is why. By doing this, we are loving God. And we are living in his will. Remember when I said that uh, previous to this, the listeners would have thought about their relationship with God only. That's what mattered. They had their little uh, fences and their walls, and whatever happened in there was the thing that was important to them. But this being flipped on its head, it says, no, actually what matters is how you treat the next person, not just how you treat me. And how you treat the next person shows how you feel about me. And that's why we're here. How we live matters. We're moving from a us and God focus to a us and one another focus. Where by focusing on the other, we're loving God and living in his will. That's the thing. So moving on to verse 39, he says, He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The plank eye process. Paul puts it another way in Romans. He says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Paul says that when we pass judgment on others, we are passing judgment on ourselves. That's the key here. Right? In this anonymous culture that we live in, where we can do and say whatever we want uh, online, where everyone is uh, free to um, let their planks grow and not have any accountability for that. Right? We're not dealing with our issues as we sit behind our screens. We hide them. We put on masks. We pretend. Right? We pretend that these things don't exist and we attack the other over and over and over. We try so hard to hide our issues in public, but that um, when we do that, when we're in our private place, it all comes out. The truth is there. And when we do that, we become more and more isolated, more and more alone. We step away from community. The more we hide, the more masks we put on, the harder it is to connect. In this anonymous culture, it is countercultural to take the plank out of our eye, the beam, right? The big log. Imagine a huge log to admit our failings and struggles, to not have it all together or be perfect. This is countercultural, right? What is normal today is to judge, is to condemn, is to go online and to uh, tell people how you really feel about them. That's how our society acts and reacts over and over and over. But Jesus is calling us to be humble. He's calling us to be aware. He's saying, no, don't be hypocrites. My followers will love the other person. That is how you will love me. So how do we do this? If this is so important, how do we take the log out of our own eye? How do we take the beam Uh, That is protruding from our head. I love that image, right? A little speck of sawdust and a beam, a huge beam coming out of our eye. Well, we see it here. We stop being hypocrites. We admit our faults. We dive into humility. And we become honest with ourselves and those in our lives. I love this. We become honest with ourselves and those in our lives people that we're connected to. But again, that's hard because that is countercultural, right? Society isn't encouraging us to do that, but we need to do that. 
And so here at Westside, we try to create spaces where we can facilitate that, where we can build those relationships and those connections. And so again, I just want to say, if you're not part of a life group or a connect group or some sort of group, I would encourage you to dive in. They're not perfect, but they help create the space and the environment uh, to be real, to dive into that humility, to admit our faults. These things matter. These things matter. A few weeks ago, I was able to uh, see a musician named Andy Squires here in Hamilton. I was so excited. Um, This is a guy I've been following for quite some time, and he came to the city for the first time, his first show in, in Canada, in fact. And he is a musician. He sings songs. But more than that, he's actually a poet which is so amazing. He writes uh, essays and uh, writings on all sorts of things. And he uh, has this to say about hypocrisy and how we overcome it. His words. I'm cool as hell, but also I wear cargo shorts. Irony abounds. I want to live a quiet, hidden life, but also... I'm always on social media. It's complicated. I'm complicated. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. People have a lot of embedded hypocrisy. The trick is to be aware of the hypocrisy within yourself more than you're aware of it in others. The cure for hypocrisy is to often confess that we ourselves are hypocrites. We can be healed from hypocrisy by exerting grace instead of control. I love that. We can be healed from hypocrisy by exerting grace instead of control. Grace with ourselves. Grace with each other as we do that. We need to acknowledge hypocrisy, admit it, and then have grace for ourselves. So as we avoid um, being hypocrites in this process, we also need to ask the question, um, do, we ever, do we ever approach someone about the speck in their eye? Do we ever judge as followers of Jesus? This is an important question, and I think this matters uh, because we live in community and we're called to live in community. And as we deal with our own uh, beams or logs coming out of our own eyes, we hopefully will be doing that in community and talking with each each other about that. So, do we ever judge? Do we ever approach someone? Well, here, um, the writer of Galatians says, brothers and sisters, and I love this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Did you get that? Restore that person gently. So when we ask the question, do we ever uh, approach someone about the speck in their own eye? The answer is yes. Yes, we do. As Christ followers, as Christians, uh, we do that. Not only do we approach people, but we uh, need to be open to being approached by others in our lives. Now, it can't just be anyone, and it can't just be in any circumstance. But the foundation is there. You see, um, the writer of Luke here, he says uh, three times, How can you say to your brother, Brother, 
Let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So when we approach someone about the speck in their own eye, there's a few things that need to happen. Firstly, there needs to be connection and community. Uh, Jesus, when Jesus says here, he says your brother, right? Your brother, someone that you're connected to, someone that you have relationship to. It's not just anyone that you walk up in the street and feel like, oh, that person's got an issue. I better, I better let them know. That's not how it is. These uh, passages are about how we act in community. So yes, definitely. Once we've removed the log from our own eye, right, hopefully in community with each other, we can uh, approach and begin conversations with others. So again, how do we do that? We do that when we're in community with a person. We do that after we've removed the log from our own eye. And here, and I think this is the most important, we do it gently. We do it gently, right? We so rarely know the whole story or have the whole picture about what's going on in people's lives. So we need to be aware of that. We need to be sensitive, all the while remembering our own issues, our own planks in our own eyes. This is what this is about. And as we do that, as we approach and um, deal with someone gently, they will be experiencing the love of Jesus, the love that we have for Jesus. They will get to experience. That's the thing here. So as we think about measuring up, as we think about um, the idea of measuring others, right? How and do we do that? I would summarize it this way. For Jesus, measuring others is less important than measuring ourselves. Living generous lives towards others in community leads to experiencing God's goodness in our own lives. Did you get that? For Jesus, measuring others is less important than measuring ourselves. It's less important than measuring ourselves. I've seen someone say that the cure for hypocrisy is a mirror. What are we focused on? Where are we looking? That is the cure here. The cure. Right? As we live generous lives towards others in community, it will lead to experiencing God's goodness in our own lives. This is the thing. It all comes down to this. Experiencing God's goodness for the other and in our own lives. Verse 36 stands out to me here. John touched on this a little bit, but I think it is actually the perfect summation of all of this. I think it is the message that we're trying to uh, communicate, and it's so simple. It's incredible, but it's uh, something we need to hold on to. All of these things, how we live, how we treat others, right? The love that we give or the love that we don't give to others, 
Verse 36, Jesus says, it's so, oh, it's amazing. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's it. That's what he says. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Be merciful. Why? Because God is merciful. Be merciful because you don't know what's happening in your neighbor's lives. Because in your coworkers, they could be struggling with something that you don't know what's going on. Be merciful as you deal with others. Be merciful as you deal with yourself. Be gentle. These are hard things. Another word for merciful is compassionate um, in this translation. Be compassionate. Be compassionate because God is compassionate. How awesome is that? That is the God that we serve. That is what he's calling us to. So often we want to know the right answer, uh, the right steps, the right formula. We focus on these things. We obsess about these things because they're easy, because they are uh, straightforward. Maybe they're not easy, but they're straightforward and simple. And it's like, yes, okay, I can step there and there and there. But that's not what God calls us to. Compassion, mercy. And you will experience God's compassion and mercy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? I think that's so awesome. And as we think about the transformative message of Jesus in our lives, I think that's enough. I think that can change us if we let it. Perhaps another way to say all this is be generous with your things, be generous with your love, be generous with your view of others, and God will draw near and be generous with you. And you'll get to experience that as you show others those things. That is the beauty here. Uh, Won't you pray with me? Father, we are just so grateful for your love for us for your incredible mercy and compassion and generosity that you have shown us a way. Lord, we admit that it's hard sometimes, that loving others, that forgiving others is hard. But we just come to you as we are. We admit our faults and our mistakes. We know that we're in need of you and we're in need of others in our lives. And we just pray, Jesus that you would be leading us to those things. In your name we pray, amen.